Hello, everyone. Oh, my goodness. Oh, so good to be here. Oh, seriously, it's so good to be back at church. It's so good to be back in San Francisco. Um, I've been East Coast for the past seven months, so shout out to the New Hampshire fam online. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's so good to be here. I just got back last week, so super excited to just be back in San Francisco, be back in the Bay Area. It's so good to be speaking with all of you today. Um, I see old faces and new faces, so can't wait to meet new people as well. Um, but yes, let me just pray for us to start because I'm so nervous right now. <laughs> oh, so, wow, Jesus. Um, I just invite your Holy Spirit into this space and into this time right now. God, would you use me as a vessel today, Lord? Would you use me as your mouthpiece today, God? Whatever it is that you want to say today, God, whatever it is that you have prepared for us, Lord, would you use me, God, to um, deliver that message, to deliver that word? God, I submit and yield my, even myself to you right now. Um, Lord, I just give you all of my nerves, God, and anxiety. Um, and Lord, would you just use me powerfully today? Um, God, we just pray that, yeah, like you open our hearts and our ears to listen to what you have to say to us today, God. Um, yeah, so Lord, as we just talk about your kingdom today, um, yeah, God, I just um, give all of today's sermon to you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. So what we're going to be talking about today is the kingdom of God. Woo! So I feel like we've actually like talked where we've like mentioned or like talked about the kingdom a bunch um, in the past year at 99. Like Mickey's last sermon series on the narrative of God was so good. And even like the big end point there was the kingdom of God. Right. Um, and, you know, but I feel like, you know, we talk about this word a lot, but a lot of times we don't actually know what it means. And so that's what I want to talk about today is I actually want to give us like a really clear idea today of what the kingdom of God actually is and how we actually live it out. Right. And so even in like my personal story, like I feel like as I've come to like understand God more, a big shift that I've experienced is also like the shift from like almost this like half gospel that a lot of us live out, which is just around sin and salvation, which is necessary, right? It's a huge part of Jesus, but there's like this full gospel of the kingdom, right? Which is like the restoration and renewal of all things um, and actually our role in participating in that, right? That oftentimes I feel like a lot of Christians miss out on. And I feel like that's what I want to talk about today. Um, and so, I mean... Uh, I feel like a lot of like how we view even like how things ends like actually <laughs> influence a lot. So I can't, I, I don't have time today to preach like a whole sermon on like eschatology and like how all things will end. Actually, Mickey also has a really good sermon on this that he preached last year um, from I think like it was like the seven words uh, or seven final words of Jesus. Um, but anyway, um, there's a sermon there on the... I think it was like paradise or something. Anyway, so check it out. That's on the podcast, on the podcast. Um, so anyway, that's a good one on just kind of end time stuff. But, um, you know, just kind of talking about this difference between like the gospel of salvation versus the gospel of the kingdom, I think the analogy that I like to use is of a house, right? So like the gospel of salvation is very necessary, right? But it's just the doorway into a much larger house, and so, yes, sin separates us, 
um, and forgiveness gives us the right to enter the kingdom, right? But salvation isn't the entire kingdom, right? So it's just like if it's like this house and you've got the doorway, the doorway is a great, pl- great way to enter the house, right? But it's a really lousy place to live, right? Like you wouldn't like sleep in the doorway. You wouldn't like eat dinner at the doorway, right? There's like literally an entire house inside. There's like a beautiful kitchen and a huge living room and like surround sound and home theater, right? Really comfy bed. It's like that's the whole kingdom that like God wants us to live into. But a lot of times we are just staying in that place of the doorway. So how do we actually move on past that, right? And so I feel like even, like, when I've been reading, like, a lot of, like, even the Gospels and, like, what Jesus preached, right, a lot of it is actually about the kingdom. All right, so let me just break down a little bit of what I'm going to talk about today in terms of, like, the outline. So I think on the screen. Um, All right, so we're going to cover these four questions today. So number one, what is the kingdom? And so we're going to, like, define it a little bit. Number two, what does culture have to do with it? Because we're going to talk about culture today. Number three, what does that actually look like? And so just, like, talking through examples um, and some practicals. And then number four, how does culture change actually happen? Because I want to talk a little bit about how things happen. All right, so by the end of today, my goal is for all of you to be thinking differently about the kingdom and to know how to actually create kingdom culture around you wherever you go. All right, so let's jump into it, shall we? All right, so number one, what is the kingdom? Okay, so let's define things a little bit. Um, So one of the first things I want to say is that, like, talking about the kingdom again was, like, Jesus's, like, favorite sermon. He talked about it all the time. So even if you think about, like, when Jesus started his ministry, right? So, like, he was, like, sent out to the desert 40 days, right? He comes back, he begins his ministry, and one of the first things that he preaches about is the kingdom, right? So you go to any of the gospel accounts, and, like, when you look at Jesus starting his ministry, that's what he's starting about. So um, let's go to Mark um, chapter one, right? And so, like, again, like, Jesus is starting his ministry, and, like, literally, he's, like, preaching, right? Um, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, right? You go to Matthew, same thing, right? He, like, just comes out of the 40s in the de- desert. He starts off his ministry. He begins preaching, and what does he preach? Matthew four seventeen. from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, right? By the way, just quick little teaching point on kingdom of God versus kingdom of heaven, because this is just a little, little uh, FYI. Um, so these are actually interchangeable terms, and the reason why, like, Matthew will use a lot more of the phrase kingdom of heaven as opposed to kingdom of God is that in that time, Jewish times, like, saying the name of God was, like, a really holy thing, right? So it was, like, very uncomfortable for people to say, like, kingdom of God. So that's why, because Matthew was, like, written primarily to a Jewish audience, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, but they're the same thing. Anyway, quick little, quick little teaching point. Um, but anyway, so we see that, like, Jesus started off his ministry talking about the kingdom, right? And then, I mean, he, like, talks about it all throughout his ministry, too, right? Sermon on the Mounts, the Beatitudes, that's all talking about the kingdom. But even in his final days, Jesus is talking about the kingdom, right? And so let's go to Acts chapter 1. 
And so uh, here is, yes, uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God, right? So literally even in his final 40 days before the ascension, right, it's his last chance to talk to his people, last chance to talk to his disciples. What does he choose to teach on? He teaches on the kingdom of God. Right? So clearly, this is a huge priority for Jesus and a huge priority of God. Right? So, what is the kingdom then? Right? So, let's start off with one thing that it's not. Okay. So, we know that it's not limited to geographical location because in Luke 17, when asked about um, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replies that it's not something that can be observed but it can be within you, or it's within your midst, okay? So it's like, okay, how does that work, that the kingdom of God can be anywhere, right? And so I feel like for me, like, the clearest indication of what the kingdom is is when Jesus teaches about it in the Sermon on the Mount. And we go to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, all right? So let's go over to Matthew 6. All right, so, right, so when the disciples are asking Jesus, like, how can we pray, right, Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So the part I want to bold there is, your kingdom come, your will be done, Right? So Jesus is establishing this very clear link between his kingdom and God's will being done. Right? And so when we think about a kingdom, a kingdom is where a king is ruling, right? And so just like to put it out there, I feel like the simplest definition of what kingdom of God is, is the kingdom of God is where God is ruling and reigning, his will is being done, and where God is in control. Right? So, yes, it's up on there. Yes. Um, all right. And this is how the kingdom can be in an individual person. Right? Because when we surrender control to him, we come under his dominion. Right? Um, where It's where his intentions are, like, and his values are being lived out. Right? It's where we are willingly subject to his lordship. And so, you know, that's how we can understand, like, the kingdom is really about, like, that submission, that surrender, right, to where, how can God's will be done, right? How can God's will be done in my life? How can God's will be done in this particular sphere? Where can, how can God's will be done wherever I go, right? And so, again, the kingdom of God is where God is in control and where his will is being done. All right. Oof, okay. Good that we established that. (laughs) All right, so now let's talk a little bit about culture. All right, y'all track them with me. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, so number two, let's go on. How, what does culture have to do with it, okay? So um, now for the rest of this talk, I'm going to kind of focus a little bit on how this actually lived out, right, and how we actually see the kingdom of God increase and grow. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about the word apostle mm-hmm. and what the role of the apostolic church is. 
Okay, so I feel like a lot of people don't actually understand what this term means. For the longest time, I had no idea what the word apostle meant, and I was like, okay, well, it sounds cool. <laughs> but it's always super helpful when we actually go back to the original meaning of the word. And so the word apostle actually comes from the Greek slash Roman word apostolos, okay? And so when Jesus was, like, talking to his disciples and, like, kind of graduating them to becoming apostles, he actually very intentionally used this word and, like, pulled this word from Greek and Roman vocabulary, it was a political slash military word, actually. It wasn't a religious word. Um, basically, they like shock the disciples in terms of like what their role was. And so, um, uh, and it's because an, an apostolos, and we can put the definition on the screen here, was actually a Roman general who had the particular mission of entering a newly conquered territory in order to bring about the culture of Rome. That's what an apostolos was, right? And so as the Roman Empire is expanding, right, they're like taking over different places, right? The, the apostolos is not the conquering general, okay? They always came after the conquering general, um, but their role is to bring the culture of Rome to that place, right? And so it's almost like in the same way, like, Jesus is our conquering general who comes before us. In him is already the victory, right? So we don't actually have to win that victory for ourselves. But what is our role as an apostle is to actually go into a place, right, and bring about the culture, right, of the kingdom of God, right? And so, you know, the apostles would be in this place. They'd be setting up things like sanitation and roading, right? Like, instead of, like, the, like this place that um, they had just taken over, like, maybe people walking for miles to get, like, stagnant water, they'd be like, we can connect you into the Roman aqueducts, right, which are this, like, brilliant form of technology, right? We can connect you into, like, Roman thought and values and, like, all this kind of stuff, right? And so their job was to ensure that the culture of Rome was so established in a way such that, okay, how they knew that they were going to be successful is if Caesar actually visited that place and felt like he was at home, right? Wow, that's so good. Like, how do we make, whoo, all right, how do we make God feel like he's at home here, right? Furthermore, a Roman apostolos would never travel alone. What they would do is they would actually go and travel with a whole company of people, often by boat because, you know, they're, like, taking over these, like, faraway lands to, like, going to Britain or whatever. And so this boat was called an apostello. And included on that boat would be a team of people and included architects of culture, right? It would be people who were, like, leaders in the arts and in science and in architecture or, like, engineering or philosophy or music. And it's amazing because, like, they would all go together, right? So again, like bring the culture to that new place. And it's almost like this prophetic image also of what the church, the apostolic church, is supposed to look like, right? We're also meant to be that boat carrying all of these cultural architects, right, from all disciplines of society, which means that every single one of us has a role to play, right, in bringing the kingdom of God to wherever we're going, right? Um, and so to be the apostolic church is to be architects 
of culture, and we have this mandate to actually create culture, to be the apostolos of God's kingdom, right, and bring the ways of his kingdom into our various domains of influence, right? Whew, so good, so good. Yo, when I learned about apostolos, it like blew my mind. It was like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> all right, so that's our role in creating culture, all right? So let's move on to third part of the sermon, which is like, what does that actually look like, right? What does that actually look like? Because again, like, I feel like so often in church, like, we hear a lot of teaching about like, what we should be doing and like, why it's important, but like, it's not as often we actually like, hear how it's actually done, right? So I want to get super practical today and actually share a bunch of examples of what this could look like. Um, and also later on, I have a couple of, like, levers of, like, culture change I want to, like, share with everyone. All right. So, um, by the way, so I've got four examples I want to share with everyone. This is by no means an exhaustive list. This is just, like, cool things I've come across when I've, like, been reading and listening to stuff. All right? So, number one, Geneva. Do we have a picture of Geneva? Ooh. There it is. Okay, I can't really see it over here. But anyway, there's a beautiful picture of Geneva up there. <laughs> All right, so I just like want people to like shout out here and maybe on the online streaming, you can like type this in the chat. Um, but what is Geneva like known for? Like what is like the reputation of Geneva or like Switzerland? Like what are they known for? Just like a couple people. Shout things out here. Neutrality. Okay, cool. What else are, is Geneva known for? Yes, Swiss chocolate, Swiss watches, yes, amazing. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, all these kind of, like, really excellent products, and, like, they've got a really kind of, like, big international reputation, right? Um, and so, um, but yet, in the 1500s, actually, when, like, Geneva was just, like, you know, a wee little city, its reputation was actually of this, like, corrupt and, like, vile city, um, filled with like slum dwellers and it was like a place of crime and it was like not where you wanted to be in Europe, right? And so how did such a place of corruption and crime and darkness become this like crossroads of international diplomacy and like birthplace of like excellence in terms of like Swiss army knives and watches and chocolate and like all this stuff, right? And it basically all started with one person, one man, one believer, one single pinch of salt, right? And so basically what happened with him was like, his name was John Calvin. He had this like amazing revival moment and he got very serious about seeking what the word of God had to say about society, about every single facet of life. And basically what he would start to do is he would actually start teaching and preaching about like how we actually bring the kingdom of God and bring, like, reform into every single part of society. And so he'd actually, like, start teaching his sermons, and, like, he would have his, like, sermons, like, printed out on, like, pamphlets and, like, distributing them. And it was almost like podcasts, but, you know, old version. So shout out to all of you listening to this on podcasts later. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he would start to teach on all these different facets of life, right? So in work and in industry, right? He would teach that every job is a calling from God and that work should be done with excellence and as worship unto the Lord, right? And so he didn't allow compromise, right? Or like people to make crappy products. Um, and so, or, or even in family, right? He would like, there was like a lot of problems, I think, with like fatherlessness in that city at that time. 
and he would teach that like you need to care for your families, right? Like the family's important and like about love and like actually like doing all these things. In the economy, right? He would like teach on like literally like interest rates, right? Because like back then there was like interest rates that were like super high, be like really difficult for like business like pay back these loans. And he'd teach like, no, like how can we like bring the like patience and like loyalty and like mercy of God into like even the economy, right? Like how do we like literally set interest rates at like a really manageable number, like 4% or something, so that businesses can actually pay the, these loans back. And so he would do that and like business start to thrive. Right, and so oh, here's a crazy one. He like also like talked about government and politics, right? And so Calvin literally looked to the scripture for verses about good governance. All right, so we all learned about like the three branches of governments in like elementary school, right? There, what's the three? It's like, shout it out, executive, legislative. Judicial. All right. We've all learned that, right? It's like such like common knowledge now, right? But literally, like Calvin was the one who proposed a three-part government system, judicial, legislative, and executive, which he actually patterned off of Isaiah 33, verse 22. Let's put it up on screen right now. It literally says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he, he will save us. Isn't that crazy? Like, whoa. <laughs> Scripture can, like, literally teach us so much. And so, <laughs> so literally, like, just look at, like, that kingdom influence, right? That is now, like, look at where Geneva and Switzerland is now right? That's literally the influence of one person who lived out his conviction in bringing kingdom culture to where he was living. So good. All right, number two, a park bench. All right, so we talked about this like kind of like grander example, right? But the thing is that, is that like kingdom culture and bringing the influence of the kingdom doesn't always have to be this like huge thing. It can literally happen in like very mundane parts of life. And so this next example I want to share comes from John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York, literally one of my favorite pastors who like literally or regularly preaches on this subject of the kingdom. And so I highly encourage everyone to like check him out. He's got really great stuff. Um, and in this one particular sermon, he's talking about what it means to be the salt and light um, and to literally carry like the potency of that salt of the kingdom wherever you go. And so I'll just kind of read this uh, example for us. So he says, it's not the big heroic things. It's the small, faithful things done with full integrity. That's where change happens. You think about how this could happen in our city. You can have a mom, okay, you two moms sitting on a park bench. And you've got one mom radically committed to following Jesus and another mom sits down next to her. Um, this might not look like anything, but you might have a mom who's completely overwhelmed by the realities of the moment. Completely gripped by fear and anxiety and depression. And the Christian mom sits down and she just has a non-anxious spirit. And just her very being, her emotional fields, is able to shift this woman's reality and provoke a conversation where she gets to share about the transcendent hope of Jesus and God's kingdom. 
that might not look like much. You would just walk by and ignore it. But there is the kingdom of heaven breaking in in a park. (sighs) Chills. (laughs) Right? So, like, literally in the mundane, right? (sighs) All right, number three. Creating safe spaces for people. All right, so... I, this is a passage I've been like personally reflecting on a lot. Let's turn to Isaiah 32. And I feel like this is actually such a good marker of like what kingdom culture looks like. So I'll just read this for us. So Isaiah 32 says, See, a king will reign in righteousness. So that's God, right? And rulers will rule with justice. That's us. And what will we do, right? It says, Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Ooh, I've been sitting on this for a while. Um, That's so good. Like, literally, okay, this could be a whole sermon right here. (laughs) But there's something about being the shelter for the weary, right? The refuge for those who are going through like an absolute storm in their life and being that safe space for people, right? And like that happens, that happens in a conversation, right? That happens in like just checking with people. Again, it's like not this grand thing, right? But how do we hold that safe space for people, right? I feel like a lot of times the kingdom literally looks like those places of safety and refreshing that we can provide for others, Yeah. Um, Another, like, really great book on culture and organizational cultures is Daniel Coyle's The Culture Code. Um, So for anyone, like, just interested in this, like, topic of, like, organizational culture, great book. I think there's the picture up there. Yep. Um, And understanding how healthy organizational cultures are built. A huge point that he even emphasizes this, and this is a completely secular book, right? But he's like tapping into something important here is that the creation of healthy, like a huge point in the creation of healthy cultures is the ability for a group of people to feel safe. Like building safety and creating spaces where vulnerabilities and courage is like literally what he talks about for like two thirds of this book. Like it's like the whole book. (laughs) So, uh, you know, there's like something really important here. Yeah. All right. Last example I'll share is um, of, I feel like, beauty breaking through the darkest places. All right. So this last example comes from John Mark Homer's book, Garden City. Great book. I have it with me here today. So good. Um, Also an excellent book. Highly recommend. Um, But this example, I feel like it's just like such a raw, visceral example of like what it looks like when the kingdom's like breaking forth um and so yeah i'm literally just gonna read this excerpt out loud for us because he says it so much more eloquently than i will um so i'll just read for us um i just read this great story about the french composer olivier messiaen and his famous piece quartet for the end of time It was written in the winter of 1941. Messiaen was captured by the Nazis and put in Stalag 8A, a concentration camp in Gorlitz, Germany. While in prison, facing a brutally cruel lifestyle, he spent time reading the four Gospels and Revelation. As a follower of Jesus, he was somehow filled with hope for the world right in the middle of hell on earth. 
When he realized there were three other famous musicians in the camp, he found four instruments, a cello with a missing string, a beat-up violin, a well-worn clarinet, and a piano with keys that stuck together. And he composed an incredible piece of chamber music. The New Yorker later called it the most ethereally beautiful music of the 20th century. They first played it in January, right in the middle of the concentration camp, to hundreds of prisoners and guards in the freezing cold. Messian later said the cold was excruciating, the stalag buried under snow, the four performers played on broken down instruments, but never have I had an audience who listened with such rapt attention. I tell you this story because I cannot think of a more dramatic or fitting picture of the kind of work we are to do on this side of resurrection. We are the people of the future in the present. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So new creation is here now. It's bursting out through the cracks in the pavement, and it's starting with us. We're the vanguard, the advanced sign of what's coming for the whole world. So we work in the present world, right in the middle of all the chaos and entropy and suffering and pain for a glimpse of the future world set free from evil and death itself. And the hope is that as we do whatever it is that we do, people will see our work. And shivering in the cold will come a little closer, listen to the music, and maybe, just maybe, start to see that in the middle of all the sorrow and emptiness and trauma of this life, something new is brewing, seeping up through the ground, breaking in. Or as a teacher I follow once said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Literally, when I read that the first time, I was, like, sobbing. I was, like, on Muni Metro, like, reading this, and I was just like, (laughs) the kingdom of God is so beautiful. (laughs) But literally, that's what it looks like, right? Literally the middle of hell on earth, and it's the kingdom of heaven breaking through. (sighs) All right. So, last part of the sermon here. How does that actually happen, right? How does culture change actually happen? So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of teaching I can do on this. I'm just going to do kind of a couple of, like, brief practical pointers here. Um, but, yes, lots of great examples. How does that actually happen? Um, first thing I want to say is that culture change doesn't happen organically, right? You can't just be like, oh, I want it to happen and just, like, hope that's going to happen at some point, right? Like... No, we have to be intentional about it, right? It's like literally law of nature. Nature, like, tends towards entropy, you know? Like, that's just how physics works. And so <laughs> if we want things to change, like, we actually have to be, like, the driving force of organizing that change, right? And so um, just a quick little thing. I feel like a huge other, like, professional interest slash fascination I have is just, like, organizational design, right? Just, like, thinking about, like, how we actually design for, like, healthy, good cultures within organizations. So if I weren't doing my current work full-time, which, shout out, Oaks and Crown, we teach about 
kingdom culture to leaders all across the world. Um, hopefully all of you can get involved with what uh, we're doing. Um, but if I wasn't doing that, I feel like I would be doing org design stuff. But anyway, um, we can basically think about a couple of like levers of culture change. And like a lot of this is just like stuff I've kind of like come across in like org design reading. Um, but these, we can think about like basically these as like ways that we can kind of like open up the panel and seeing like, okay, like if we were to actually change culture, what are some of the things that we can touch, yeah. right? So let's think, let's take a look at a couple of these. Number one, behavior, right? So like these are like the norms and like quote unquote what people do, right? Whether it's said or unsaid, right? Because there's always like said or unsaid norms. Right? Number two, you can think about rituals, right? So like what are the regular rhythms and events of a group of people that like, embody that group's culture, right? So like a lot of times when you like start to change up these rituals, you can kind of start to change up that culture too. Mm -hmm. um, number three, strategy. Okay, so like what is the purpose of a group, right? And what does a group choose to do or not to do and why? a lot of times when you like clarify that purpose that can also like start to change the culture of that group too. Four, structure. Um, how power is distributed and decision making happens, right? That also like largely influences how culture happens. Next, tools. Physical spaces and tools that people actually use to interact with each other, right? Because like space can like, like influence so much of like how we think and behave um, and view things. All right, um, processes, the way things actually get done, and then finally, incentives, like what motivates people to do certain things. So like these seven things, I feel like are just like really like helpful like levers of culture change and like help us think about, okay, if I wanna change something, this is maybe what I can touch, okay? Um, and so it's almost like, okay, we've like opened up the circuit board and we can kind of like see like where everything is happening. And so just like quick example, um, let's say that um, you want to like really like bring kingdom culture to your family, right? Um, and like that's something like, hey, how can I have my culture have a, or my family have a culture that's like more warm and loving, right? Like maybe that's like something that you really want to see kingdom come to, right? And so let's think about like those like seven things, right? It's like, okay, like, hmm, like what are some of the rituals that like my family has, yeah. right? what are some of the things and like, is there something I can maybe change there, right, that helps us to like bring in a little bit more warmth into this family, right? So this is just like a quick little example of like what it can look like to like start bringing culture to a place, right? And so um, what I want us to do is instead of us like hearing this super convicting message <laughs> and then doing nothing about it as per usual, <laughs> I actually... <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Preaching here. Um, I, <laughs> I actually want all of us to take action on this, right? Because the whole thing is that if we don't do anything about it, it'll just sit and like nothing changes, right? So I'm just gonna like talk through this like exercise um, and then basically I'll lead us into a time of response where we can actually like, think through some of this stuff. All right, so just a couple of things I want us to do here. So first thing is I actually want us to think about those spheres of influence that we operate in, right? So this could be your friend circle, this could be your family, this could be your workplace, like whatever it is, right? Every single one of us has places where we can bring the culture of God, the culture of the kingdom. 
And then the next thing I really want us to think about is like, how can we actually be architects of culture and bring the kingdom to that space, right? And so again, we can go through the different levers that I just mentioned, right? So behavior, is there a certain behavior change that you want to cha- that you want to want to see? Rituals, are there some sort of like new rhythms or habits to adopt? Strategy, is there like purpose to clarify or redefine? Structures, there's some sort of structure that needs to be changed or reorganized. Tools, do we need to change or adopt any of the spaces that we're in um, or tools that people use? Processes, like do we need to change any processes or like ways that things are done? Incentives, we need to realign any incentive structures. So anyway, these are just like some kind of practical things of like how this is actually done. Um, But I actually really encourage everyone to, and even online and on the podcast, like brainstorm steps, right? Brainstorm some action steps and then do it, right? Like I even encourage everyone literally on... If you're listening to some podcasts, okay, get out a journal after this. Like, write about this. Actually try to figure out, and it doesn't have to be like everything, but just pick one thing, you know? Pick one thing. Um, Because I really believe that, like, if we are to fully live out the kingdom, right, if we're to fully live out our identities as sons and daughters, like, that is our job, right? We need to be those architects of culture wherever wherever we go. Um... So a couple last things I'll just offer, I think, on the screen. I don't know if we made one. Just a couple of just like additional resources. I can also send this out to people afterwards. Um, really great course to like uh, go through more of this stuff is Martin Steele is this pastor in, I think, New Zealand. He has this great course on kingdom culture. Honestly, I pulled a lot of my teaching today from his course. So anyway, uh, really, really great stuff. John Tyson, amazing pastor who preaches on this. Um, he has a book called Creative Minority, which is the series that we're in right now. Um, but it's just like a tiny little book, but it's so, so good, so potent. And he has a really great sermon series on it, too. So it's all on podcast there. Um, again, Culture Code by Daniel Coyle is a really awesome book on just like how to create good cultures. Um, And lastly, Garden City by John Mark Comer, also like such a good book on just like understanding our identities as children, right, and what it means to work and rest and just like what humanity is all about. So um, I leave all that with you as like some practical last stuff, but let me just pray for us to um, enter this time of reflection. Wow, God. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is here with us right now. Thank you that you're literally speaking to our hearts right now. God, thank you that you affirm in us our identities, God. Our identities are as sons, as daughters. We are your children, God. But as your children, we have an inheritance, God, in your kingdom. And God, I thank you that you're teaching us about what your kingdom actually is, what it looks like, and our role in participating with you, God, partnering with you, Lord, to bring about your, cult, your kingdom, the culture of your kingdom, God, wherever we go. Lord, I even pray that right now your spirit continues to stay with us, God. Would you give us wisdom, Lord, revelation, Lord, to know where are you sending us, God? Where do you want us to go, Lord? You're sending out this apostello, God, the boat of the company of the architects of culture. God, where are you sending us, Lord? And which one of those people on that boat are we, God? What aspect of culture can we change? And where do you want us to go? Yeah, so Holy Spirit, I just invite you here right now. Would you continue to minister to us, God? Speak to us, God. Thank you, Jesus.